Hello and welcome to Nature Snippets, a podcast about the natural world, about organisms you may find in your backyard and beyond. I'm Declan McCabe, coming to you from St. Michael's College in Colchester, Vermont. Hi folks! Before getting into today's content, I wanted to describe the transition that occurred for me about six years ago, maybe seven. Back at that time, I was doing primarily primary science plus teaching. And by that I mean I was doing academic research and publishing papers in scientific journals for the most part. The way that works is you do a project, you gather the data, you write it up, you submit it to a journal, and it gets sent out to other professionals who review it. They improve the document or they reject the document, one way or the other. And um, it gets sent back to you for either, either revision or for submission to a different journal. And the process is time-consuming. The audience is primarily specialists in your field. But it is the way that new science is done and vetted by other scientists. So it is a critically important way to work. That said, the content takes quite a while to reach the attention of the public. And if you want to communicate science to a large audience, that's probably not the best way to do it. So a while back, I accidentally almost made the transition to writing essays for newspapers. It all started when a teacher friend called me up with a problem which I'll describe shortly. And the problem was sufficiently interesting that I wrote an essay about it. I sent it off to the Vermont Entomological Society's newsletter and they published it and I didn't think a lot more about it. But an editor from Northern Woodlands got in touch with me and she asked me if I would revise the essay, shorten it to an appropriate length for their audience and um, resubmit it. And so I did. And so she published that and I was very happy with the result. And I found that I was getting emails from teachers, from friends, from people I've never met, asking me about the story. I realized at that point that this was the way to reach a broader audience and to communicate science and share my love for the stuff that I like to do. So from there, I have been writing these essays ever since. And it has been extraordinarily satisfying. I've really enjoyed what I've been doing. And I have found that I often reach students who end up coming to St. Michael's College as a result. So there are many advantages to doing what I do. With all of that in mind, I'd like to read the first essay that got me going on this fun little roller coaster and something that has given me a creative outlet that I didn't previously have. This is Flat Stanley and the Centipede. Biologists sometimes field questions about the huge scary bug that appeared in someone's home, or worse yet, on their person. Most turn out to be benign organisms that ended up in the wrong place at the wrong time. For me, the most common questions come in July, when male Dobson flies emerge from the Winooski River and often end up crashing into windows at St. Michael's College campus where I teach. 
The males have impressive mandibles that look scary but are actually quite harmless to people. Recently, however, one of these questions did actually involve something potentially dangerous. One morning, I received a call from a friend and grade school teacher who explained that she had managed to corral a very large and intimidating centipede in a plastic container at her school. I immediately emailed her a photograph of a house centipede, fully expecting that to be the end of the discussion. House centipedes commonly attract the attention of teachers and homeowners. They frequently get trapped in the sink at my children's school, and I discreetly liberate them so that they can go and eat the real pests. However, in this case, house centipede was not the correct answer. I asked if the arthropod was slow-moving and dark, thinking that perhaps she had found a stranded helgramite. No, she said, it was quite fast. This was getting interesting. My friend described a centipede that was black, orange at the front, and with a forked tail and yellow legs. Its most surprising feature was its size, a full six inches long. At this point, I asked for a photograph because the arthropod sounded like nothing I had encountered in Vermont. From the photograph, I determined that it was most likely a giant desert centipede. That settled the first question, but left still many others unanswered. The school principal wanted to know if the centipede was dangerous. Were there likely to be more lurking about? Should he shut down the classroom? How does a desert centipede end up in Vermont? I reassured him that it was unlikely to find even one such centipede in Vermont, and then less reassuringly suggested that because one was found, they should keep their eyes open. I informed the state entomologist and sent photographs. I learned that desert centipedes give particularly nasty bites. In some cases, they can cause renal failure and even death. While death by centipede isn't a common way to go, even in the desert, this species was certainly due some respect. I guessed that the centipede may have come up from the desert southwest in packaging material, or perhaps through the pet trade. The truth was much more interesting. The school in question, like many Vermont schools, uses a children's book called Flat Stanley to combine reading skills with art, geography, and just plain fun. Because Stanley is flat, he can be mailed in an envelope, and many children in schools across the world make their own flat Stanleys and send them to friends in other places. Their friends photograph Stanley in interesting locations and return him along with local souvenirs. When my son did this, we sent Stanley to Ireland, Cyprus and Australia. Stanley was sent by my friend's student to an aunt in Texas, and she mailed him back with Texas souvenirs. The package included a map of Texas, a length of rope representing the horn span of a Texas longhorn, a piece of prickly pear cactus, and a Ziploc bag with a hole chewed in the corner labeled, Do Not Touch Centipede. Why one sends a dangerous centipede or any centipede through the mail is a mystery, but it certainly happened. While I can't imagine that this centipede would establish in Vermont even if dozens were sent, it underscores the continuing need to educate about the dangers of moving species to new locations. On a positive note, 
The school has added the now dead preserved centipede to its invertebrate collection for classroom use. I think that speaks very well for the school, that the students will learn valuable lessons from Stanley's travel companion, and perhaps it will inspire some budding entomologists. And so there it is, folks, the story of Flat Stanley and the Centipede. Sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. I found this to be really entertaining when it happened, and that's why I wrote the original essay. And from there, I've had such a good time working with the editors at Northern Woodlands Magazine, and in particular, The Outside Story, which is a newspaper piece that comes out weekly. Someone writes an essay every week. I sure as heck don't. But um, somebody does, and sometimes, some weeks it's me. It's a really valuable source of information if you are a teacher or if you are an educator or if you're just interested in natural history and you'd like an inter introduction to a particular organism, go on to the Northern Woodlands Magazine website and search for the organism you care about. You know, go today and search for Peleated Woodpecker, for example, and you'll find that there are essays that people have written about them. And so you can download PDFs of many of the essays. Others you can read online. One way or another, there is a fantastic depth of information on the Northern Woodlands website. And I have really had a good time working with those folks over the years. So thank you to Elise and to Cheryl and to Megan and all of the editors over there. And I hope everyone is having a wonderful spring. Thank you so very much for listening, folks. I will be back again in a couple of weeks with another episode. If you have liked what you heard, by all means, subscribe. And if you are on Apple Podcasts on an iPhone, that would be the little plus symbol that they have put into the interface. Well, you're still here. Thank you. Just a small aside for those who are interested in the mechanics of podcasting. We discovered in making this podcast that audio issues are real, and particularly when we record at St. Michael's College in a busy building, everything from the air handling to doors closing in the hallway impact the audio quality of the podcast. So I started off by recording my podcasts on campus in the middle of winter when students were away on break. But now that students are back, I find that that is not at all practical. And so I investigated the possibility of making a soundproof booth, which seemed like a very practical idea. Very soon into reading about it, and reading about in particular the descriptions of using home insulation to block out sound, I realized that I already had a soundproof booth, more or less. And so now, I am recording in the shed in my backyard, which, uh, you know, sounds awfully like Wendell Berry writing his essays and his poetry, but it's not exactly what you would call glamorous. But I did insulate the structure for uh, heating purposes so that I could offer lectures from here during the pandemic, if you can imagine, coming to you live from the shed. So. Now I have this backyard soundproof booth, which works out pretty well. It does have windows, and I do live near the airport, so there certainly have been times in recording this episode when I had to stop and wait for the F-35 to do 
whatever it needed to do, and then pick up the recording again. Even with that, it's still a better setup than recording in the office in a busy biology department. So here we are. Fun, fun, fun. Also, for those of you interested in podcasting, you might wonder why I haven't bothered with advertising on the podcast. Many podcasts pay their way using advertising. Well, I looked into the economics of advertising on podcasts, and not surprisingly, you are paid by the number of listeners that you have. And while I am thrilled with each and every one of you 50 or so folks who listen, I have done the mathematics and given my progress so far, I believe I would have made $15.75 if I had bothered with advertising. <laughs> and then you'd all be irritated by the advertising. So, uh, you know, unless thousands of your friends suddenly start listening, you'll be getting this advertising free. So, it's just a fun little project on the side and I'm having a good time. And you know, when else do you get to talk to 50 fun people about your favorite subject, right? And that is really what it is all about. So thank you once again for listening. And that's enough from me for today. Signing off. Cheers. Declan. Bye.